Chapter 6, Part 2 of The Quest of the Historical Jesus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Quest of the Historical Jesus by Albert Schweitzer. Translated by William Montgomery. Chapter 6, Part 2 The Last Phase of Rationalism. Hase and Schleiermacher. Schleiermacher's Life of Jesus introduces us to quite a different order of transitional ideas. Its value lies in the sphere of dogmatics, not of history. Nowhere, indeed, is it so clear that the great dialectician had not really a historical mind than precisely in his treatment of the history of Jesus. From the first, it was no favorable star which presided over this undertaking. It is true that in 1819, Schleiermacher was the first theologian who had ever lectured upon this subject. But his Life of Jesus did not appear until 1864. Its publication had been so long delayed, partly because it had to be reconstructed from students' notebooks, partly because immediately after Schleiermacher, in 1832, had delivered the course for the last time, it was rendered obsolete by the work of Strauss. For the questions raised by the latter's Life of Jesus, published in 1835, Schleiermacher had no answer, and for the wounds which it made, no healing. When, in 1864, Schleiermacher's work was brought forth to view like an embalmed corpse, Strauss accorded to the dead work of the great theologian a dignified and striking funeral oration. Schleiermacher was not in search of the historical Jesus, but of the Jesus Christ of his own system of theology, that is to say, of the historic figure which seems to him appropriate to the self-consciousness of the Redeemer as he represents it. For him, the empirical has simply no existence. A natural psychology is scarcely attempted. He comes to the facts with a ready-made dialectic apparatus, and sets his puppets in lively action. Schleiermacher's dialectic is not a dialectic which generates reality, like that of Hegel, of which Strauss availed himself, but merely a dialectic of exposition. In this literary dialectic, he is the greatest master that ever lived. The limitations of the historical Jesus, both in an upward and downward direction, are those only which apply equally to the Jesus of dogma. The uniqueness of his divine self-consciousness is not to be tampered with. It is equally necessary to avoid Ebionism, which does away with the divine in him, and Docetism, which destroys his humanity. Schleiermacher loves to make his hearers shudder by pointing out to them that the least false step entails precipitation into one or other of these abysses, or at least would entail it for anyone who was not under the guidance of his infallible dialectic. In the course of this dialectic treatment, all the historical questions involved in the life of Jesus come into view one after another but none of them is posed or solved from the point of view of the historian. They are moments in his argument. He is like a spider at work. The spider lets itself down from aloft, and after making fast some supporting threads to points below, it runs back to the center, and there keeps spinning away. You look on, fascinated, 
and before you know it you are entangled in the web it is difficult even for a reader who is strong in the consciousness of possessing a sounder grasp of the history than schleiermacher to avoid getting caught in the toils of that magical dialectic and how loftily superior the dialectician is paulus had shown that in view of the use of the title son of man the messianic self-consciousness of jesus must be interpreted in accordance with the passage in daniel on this schleiermacher remarks quote, i have already said that it is inherently improbable that such a predilection that is for the book of daniel would have been manifested by christ because the book of daniel does not belong to the prophetic writings properly so called but to the third division of the old testament literature Close quote. in his estimate of the importance to be attached to the story of the baptism too he falls behind the historical knowledge of his day he says quote, to lay such great stress upon the baptism leads either to the gnostic view that it was only there that the logos united itself with jesus or to the rationalistic view that it was only at the baptism that he became conscious of his vocation Close quote. but what does history care whether a view is gnostic or rationalistic if only it is historical this dialectic so fatal often to sound historical views might have been expressly created to deal with the question of miracle compared with schleiermacher's discussions all that has been written since upon this subject is mere honest or dishonest bungling nothing new has been added to what he says and no one else has succeeded in saying it with the same amazing subtlety it is true also that no one else has shown the same skill in concealing how much in the way of miracle he ultimately retains and how much he rejects his solution of the problem is in fact not historical but dialectical an attempt to transcend the necessity for a rationalistic explanation of miracle which does not really succeed in getting rid of it schleiermacher arranges the miracles in an ascending scale of probability according to the degree in which they can be seen to depend on the known influence of spirit upon organic matter the most easily explained are the miracles of healing quote, because we are not without analogies to show that pathological conditions of a purely functional nature can be removed by mental influence Close quote. but where on the other hand the effect produced by christ lies outside the sphere of human life the difficulties involved become insoluble to get rid in some measure of these difficulties he makes use of two expedients in the first place he admits that in particular cases the rationalistic method may have a certain limited application in the second place he like haza recognizes a difference between the miracle stories themselves retaining the johannine miracles but surrendering more or less completely the synoptic miracles as not resting on evidence of the same certainty and exactness that he is still largely under the sway of rationalism can be seen in the fact that he admits on an equal footing as conceptions of the resurrection of jesus a return to consciousness from a trance state or a supernatural restoration to life thought of as a resurrection 
he goes so far as to say that the decision of this question has very little interest for him he fully accepts the principle of paulus that apart from corruption there is no certain indication of death he concludes quote, all that we can say on this point is that even to those whose business it was to ensure the immediate death of the crucified in order that the bodies might at once be taken down christ appeared to be really dead and this moreover although it was contrary to their expectations for it was a subject of astonishment it is no use going any further into the matter since nothing can be ascertained in regard to it Close quote. what is certain is that jesus in his real body lived on for a time among his followers that the fourth gospel requires us to believe the reports of the resurrection are not based upon apparitions schleiermacher's own opinion is what really happened was reanimation after apparent death Quote, if christ had only eaten to show that he could eat while he really had no need of nourishment it would have been a pretense something docetic this gives us a clue to all the rest teaching us to hold firmly to the way in which christ intends himself to be represented and to put down all that is miraculous in the accounts of the appearances to the prepossessions of the disciples when he revealed himself to mary magdalene he had no certainty that he would frequently see her again Quote, he was conscious that his present condition was that of a genuine human life but he had no confidence in its continuance he bade his disciples meet him in galilee because he could there enjoy greater privacy and freedom from observation in his intercourse with them the difference between the present and the past was only that he no longer showed himself to the world Quote, it was possible that a movement in favor of an earthly messianic kingdom might break out and we need only take this possibility into account in order to explain completely why jesus remained in such close retirement Quote, it was the premonition of the approaching end of this second life which led him to return from galilee to jerusalem Close quote. of the ascension he says quote, here therefore something happened but what was seen was incomplete and has been conjecturally supplemented Close quote the underlying rationalistic explanation shows through but if the condition in which jesus lived on after his crucifixion was a condition of reanimation by what right does schleiermacher constantly speak of it as a resurrection as if resurrection and reanimation were synonymous terms further is it really true that faith has no interest whatever in the question whether it was as risen from the dead or merely as recovered from a state of suspended animation that jesus showed himself to his disciples in regard to this it might seem the rationalists were more straightforward the moment one tries to take hold of this dialectic it breaks in one's fingers schleiermacher would not indeed have ventured to play so risky a game if he had not had a second position to retire to based on the distinction between the synoptic and the johannine miracle stories in this respect he simplified matters for himself as compared with the rationalists even more than hase 
the miracle at the baptism is only intelligible in the narrative of the fourth gospel where it is not a question of an external occurrence but of a purely subjective experience of john with which we have nothing to do the synoptic story of the temptation has no intelligible meaning Quote, to change stones into bread if there were need for it would not have been a sin Quote, a leap from the temple could have had no attraction for anyone. The miracles of the birth and childhood are given up without hesitation. They do not belong to the story of the life of Jesus, and it is the same with the miracles of his death. One might fancy it was Strauss speaking when Schleiermacher says, quote, If we give due consideration to the fact that we have certainly found in these for the most part simple narratives of the last moments of christ two incidents such as the rending of the veil of the temple and the opening of the graves in reference to which we cannot possibly suppose that they are literal descriptions of actual facts then we are bound to ask the question whether the same does not apply to many other points certainly the mention of the sun's light failing and the consequent great darkness looks very much as if it had been imported by poetic imagination into the simple narrative. A rebuke could have no possible effect upon the wind and sea. Here we must suppose either an alteration of the facts or a different causal connection. In this way, Schleiermacher, and it was for this reason that these lectures on the life of Jesus became so celebrated, enable dogmatics though not indeed history to take a flying leap over the miracle question what is chiefly fatal to a sound historical view is his one-sided preference for the fourth gospel it is according to him only in this gospel that the consciousness of jesus is truly reflected in this connection he expressly remarks that of a progress in the teaching of jesus and of any development in him there can be no question his development is the unimpeded organic unfolding of the idea of the divine sonship for the outline of the life of jesus also the fourth gospel alone is authoritative Quote, the johannine representation of the way in which the crisis of his fate was brought about is the only clear one Close quote. The same applies to the narrative of the resurrection in this gospel. So he concludes his discussion, quote, Accordingly, on this point also, I take it as established that the gospel of John is the narrative of an eyewitness and forms an organic whole. The first three gospels are compilations formed out of various narratives which had arisen independently. Their discourses are composite structures and their presentation of the history is such that one can form no idea of the grouping of events. The crowded days, such as that of the Sermon on the Mount and the Day of the Parables, exist only in the imagination of the evangelists. In reality, there were no such days. Luke is the only one of them who has some semblance of historical order. His gospel is compiled with much insight and critical tact out of a number of independent documents, as Schleiermacher believed himself to have shown convincingly in his critical study of Luke's gospel, published in 1817. 
it is only on the ground of such a valuation of the sources that we can arrive at a just estimate for the different representations of the locality of the life of jesus schleiermacher proceeds quote, the contradictions could not be explained if all our gospels stood equally close to jesus but if john stands closer than the others we may perhaps find the key in the fact that john too mentions it as a prevailing opinion in jerusalem that jesus was a galilean and that luke when he has got to the end of the sections which show skillful arrangement and are united by similarity of the subject gathers all the rest into the framework of a journey to jerusalem following this analogy and not remembering that jesus had occasion to go several times a year to jerusalem the other two gathered into one mass all that happened there on various occasions this could only have been done by hellenists Close quote. footnote the ground of the inference is that according to this theory they did not attach much importance to the keeping of the feasts at jerusalem dr schweitzer reminds us in a footnote that a certain want of clearness is due to the fact of this work having been compiled from lecture notes End footnote. schleiermacher is quite insensible to the graphic realism of the description of the last days at jerusalem in mark and matthew and has no suspicion that if only a single one of the Jerusalem sayings in the synoptists is true, Jesus had never before spoken in Jerusalem. The ground of Schleiermacher's antipathy to the synoptists lies deeper than a mere critical view as to their composition. The fact is that their picture of Jesus does not agree with that which he wishes to insert into the history. When it serves his purpose, he does not shrink from the most arbitrary violence. He abolishes the scene in Gethsemane because he infers from the silence of John that it cannot have taken place. He explains, quote, The other evangelists give us an account of a sudden depression and deep distress of spirit which fell upon Jesus, and which he admitted to his disciples. And they tell us how he sought relief from it in prayer, and afterwards recovered his serenity and resolution. John passes over this in silence, and his narrative of what immediately precedes is not consistent with it. It is evidently a symbolical story, as the thrice-repeated petition shows. Quote, if they speak of such a depression of spirit, they have given the story that form in order that the example of Christ might be the more applicable to others in similar circumstances. Close quote. On these premises, it is possible to write a life of Christ. It is not possible to write a life of Jesus. It is, therefore, not by accident that Schleiermacher regularly speaks, not of Jesus, but of Christ. End of chapter 6